Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangeter. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book, Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and have traveling partners so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite relationship experts to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Dr. Laura Anderson. Laura is a clinical psychologist and the founder of Common Cord Psychologist Services. She provides consultation services for multiracial families, adoptive families, and families with gender expansive members as they overcome barriers, derive strength from their differences, and thrive. Additionally, she has a particular area of interest in supporting third culture children and families who may need support with the stresses associated with living out of their countries of origin. Today with Dr. Laura, we're going to be talking about how intercultural dynamics play out when distance is involved, how to be a family when not living under the same roof, and coping with uncertainties, which is very much part of this life, when travel date changes, when there are emergencies, or when there's risk involved when the parent is in a hostile environment. So Dr. Laura, welcome. Thank you for being here with me. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, I saw a video of you on Facebook um, a while ago, and you were talking about anxiety, I think in teens, right, from from COVID. And, and I thought, oh, I would love to talk to you about your insights into families where one of the parents is either living sort of longer term in another country for work or... Um, commuting, what we call commuting, uh, which could still be big distances uh, and coming back and forth. So, well, first of all, before we launch into that, why Common Cord? I'm curious. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. And did I, for a long time, I was trying to figure out how to talk about, like, my, my specialty areas are, what I came to ultimately was they all involve parents trying to find a way in a path they didn't necessarily walk. So, Adoptive families where parents might not be adoptees themselves, multiracial families where parents of different ethnic and racial identities are raising children, navigating different identities, the gender expansive kids. So, so I was like, what I have to, there's something about needing to find commonalities and yet also recognize the difference. So common chord is when, when music sort of combines and you have similarities, but there are also differences within is sort of how I think about it, but it was tricky. It was some, it took some gymnastics and, uh, and, and yeah, so that's common chord. Nice. Thank you. Well, it, it does speak to, I suppose people can interpret it in different ways, and that's also the beauty of it. But uh, to have that, it sounds like harmony to me. Maybe that's what we're looking for in a family. That's the aspiration. Yeah, that's the aspiration. <laughs> and, and how do you balance that, right, as a mom myself? like, And, and how do you balance that yeah. with the reality, especially when the rhythms in your family are are shifting a lot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and there are, it's all not always smooth sailing. So it's like making music with what you have, and yeah, navigating the uh, the bangs. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. No, I I like it. I like it. So, what's your experience with with families um, that I sort of um, help, and that sort of we used to be, and we are one of those. How, how, what's your experience? So I've been doing work with kids and teens and families for oh, over 25 
years now. And I always worked with kids. I worked with kids three to 18 and really kind of doing uh, trenches, <laughs> trenches stuff, uh, meaning um, really in it with families and kids in, in different treatment facilities and in different school settings and lots of times in international schools, private schools, public schools, um, and all kinds of different levels of care. Um, and then I myself moved family around a little bit and and have dear, dear, dear friends who've sort of been in the life of moving around for a long time and watched watched and learned from them as well. So I I always think of my work as the intersection of my office couch and my living room couch as a mom and a psychologist. Because <laughs> you've got you've got both sides, huh? Mm-hmm. So you know what it's like to be a mom, a parent, and also a psychologist bringing in your your professional. Yeah, like side. here's the theory. Now, what does that mean on Tuesday? <laughs> right? Like, what does that mean after dinner? <laughs> <laughs> they're like okay so I get it I'm like that's so interesting this they're supposed to have this so for instance one of the things also I think in helping parents I like to spend time helping parents understand kid brain and and talking naming kid brain as a concept and and recognizing that their children are not just little adults right they the kid brain takes in information in different ways and so the idea being that kid brain generally thrives or likes predictability, some idea of what's coming next, routines, rhythms, because it sets a container for kids to kind of explore and learn. And as you know, people who are in families that move with some regularity or have a parent that is an accordion parent, right? Like goes away for a little bit, but stays connected and then comes back. Another music. I'm not even a musician. Truth be told. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but they have these accordion parents. Um, it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Like we know kids need that, but in reality, it's, it's, um, it can be tricky to give kids the consistency and the, and the sameness that we know kid brain kind of need. So that that is one of the places that I start out supporting families is like, okay, given that you can't say exactly, you know, this travel date changed or we're not sure exactly when um, the parent who's away is coming back, what can you make familiar? What rituals can you create for your family at home? Whether it is, um, you know the I don't know why this but Taco Tuesday always comes up like what are yeah what are the things you can make predictable in your life so your child feels contained and held by familiarity um, as much as possible there'll be days and ways you won't be able to do that but if you're understanding that this is a it, it's a it's a soother for kids to to know what is coming as much as you can keeping room decorations, you know, similar if you're moving, trying to have rhythms and weekend mornings look a certain way or you know, family game, like just commitments to sameness and rhythms and familiarity. 
And also, so, so that's sort of as a foundation or a backdrop in families, like build that in. And it can be this as simple as, it sounds funny, but like the same route home in the car or the stop at a snack shop that, that works for you or, or, you know, the choice of the same kinds of snacks when kids come home, if you're able to be home with them, just, just familiarity, I think helps kids it allows their worrying brain to stand down because they mm. wonder in small ways about what is next. And at the same time, I also talk to families, even starting with kids as young as four or five, that sometimes things are unexpected. And unexpected is a great neutral word for a oh, crud that changes just changed and it stinks or well I don't know when this is happening either right which are the impacts that's that's our our instinct sometimes and so I talk to parents about introducing this idea that sometimes things are unexpected what should we call them should we call them hiccups I mean you can with younger kids it's when you unexpectedly you know have a little catch in what your plan was or depending on the child and the superhero they're into it's a it's a quick change in direction. It's almost like Superman, you know, took a sharp left or whatever. You're trying to think about the metaphors. Like what is your kid really into if they're littles under about age eight or nine and talking to them about change in the context of that um, way. Like, oh, again, like, oh, we just had a Superman shift or, oh boy, something unexpected. We've had a hiccup and this is the plan now. And you're, you're almost not normalizing it, but a little bit, you're kind of saying, okay, oh, you're introducing the, the concept that unexpected things happen from time to time. Yeah. And that it's a, and you're almost, it's sort of like when we think about our kids and what behaviors we want them to have, we want them to be happy. Do we want them to listen to us? Yes. And yes. But you're specifically also targeting resiliency. You are, you're like, oh my God, five, five. You just handled Superman hanging a hard left, or you just handled this big hiccup, you know, high five kiddo, or like really targeting bouncing back, really targeting making an adjustment in the face of change and, and thinking about it in kid friendly language for again, whatever your kid is into. So Yes, you start to introduce it. This is a thing that happens and you know what to do. Just like, hey, you brush your teeth and this is and you know what to do. Hey, you pack your bag for school and you know what to now in this case, ah, oh, darn, something unexpected happened. And, it, and the unexpected takes the value out of it, takes the value out of the word in terms of, oh, that's disappointing or awful or I mean, is it a problem to talk to kids about disappointing things? No, you can say, and this is another thing I talk to parents a lot. It's okay to say, oh, I'm disappointed. I was really expecting to go to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Trump. Or dad to come to my practice because he was supposed to be home or, you know, <laughs> mom to, to be here to help me out with this because she was supposed to be home. Yeah. Yeah. And so modeling, being able to model saying, I am really disappointed. You know, how are you feeling? And be able to just ask kids about modeling the naming of feelings and being a little frustrated is great. You know, doing it so much that your child feels they need to take care of you. That's a good indicator to find a, find a friend and, or, you know, somebody else to talk about, but certainly being able to model and saying, I'm disappointed. 
And if you're one of the tricks, here's a trick that I talk to parents about when they're trying to get their mm -hmm. talk about feelings, start with multiple choice, then go to fill in the blank. If they don't answer your essay, right? When you think back to your, if you start with, how are you doing? And you get crickets or you get a fine or, you know, something like that, right? Think to yourself, multiple choice. So this is with, you know, younger kids, you can say, you know, sometimes when this stuff happens, I'm angry. Other times I'm actually more bummed out or sad or maybe a little nervous. Like, are you, what do you think? Angry, sad. So you're offering a couple of words and you're doing a multiple choice <laughs> invitation. So they can, nice. don't have to work as hard when they're stressed and they can do kind of a search. Is it angry? I don't know. Is it sad? And then also fill in the blank. Like sometimes, you know, I feel this or that, you know, and what do you think if, if you, you know, you're feeling what? And so you're, you're, limiting the demand on your kids when they're stressed and it keeps open communication as well. So that's a, that's a trick that I have parents work with is start with the essay. And if you get nothing, guide your kid, give your kids a little bit of options, even, even littles, even really littles, four and five-year-olds can, can nice or whatever. But this is sometimes when, when the guilt comes in is, uh, oh no, you know, either they're feeling sad because their parents are away or, they're feeling sad because their parents were supposed to come back for something or, um, you know, their parent forgot to call because something came up and the guilt comes in and you're like, are we ruining our kids? And if that, I, I spend so much time hanging out in that place, right, with parents. And this is a great test for parents to be able to do a gut check, literally like, okay, there's that nausea or there's that wave of ick that's coming. Here's where I'm about to overpromise or overindulge <laughs> or ah. apologize uh, through overindulgence. And indulgence with attention is lovely. But what I see a lot of parents do is apologizing like the, our our own anxiety about are we ruining the kids how is he gonna or she or they gonna trust us again kind of a thing and just just notice stop and it it is actually a gift to teach kids resilience it is a gift to teach kids bounce backness is it a unique family stressor if you have a parent that is far away is it a unique family stressor if that parent may be in a hostile environment Absolutely. But all life choices, all life choices have things kids learn and things kids aren't exposed to yet, or things kids see and do that you didn't really want them to see or do. Like there, there is no one easy parenting path. This path for families that are choosing, right. you're you're adding elements. I'm not saying, oh, it's all the same. I'm not. I'm saying, though, that even the folks who are tucked away in their same small town neighborhoods and never leave have kids who aren't exposed to things, have kids who are exposed to stuff they wish they weren't, have family dynamics they're not proud of. This parenting thing is hot. It is a really humbling thing. I, I often chuckle with folks that they're after I was a child psychologist for many years before I was a parent. And I think I didn't know. I was never a know-it-all, you know, I'm like, Hey, I have the theory and, and you have your kids, but there were many people I wanted to call back and be like, um, Sally, sorry about that. <laughs> like, I, Yeah. I meant well, but that was for the work. Yeah, this is hard. <laughs> Do you think there's a specific sort of set of extra 
support or something we need to pay particular attention to with our kids, seeing as we've added this layer of complexity? I would say that there, yes, that there is an awareness that your kids, the kids who move around a lot, often experience loss more than other kids. Yeah. So this is it, right? A lot of the families I interview and support and find out about it, that they're doing the, the global mobility and they're doing the split location or the, you know, the frequent yes. business travels. So they're not in their local support network. They're moving as well. So no, that's added. That's, so, that, so there will be loss. There also will be loss with the parent traveling. There'll be loss of maybe experiences lost or. Some of the tips that I talk to parents a lot about in this situation, again, to the degree that you can having rituals around parent contact. Are we putting a sticky note on the refrigerator when we think, you know, mom would like to hear about this, whatever, baseball score from the States or like, do we have a, a thought board? Do we have a parking lot where we park ideas in sticky notes or things for the parent who's away? And then when the FaceTime happens later, in the midst of chaotic days, you're like, oh yeah, the puppy did this, or oh yeah, the you know that kind of a thing. So, so trees of ideas, you know, just whatever, or a garden, and you have little. It depends. I am I am not a crafty parent, but I have great ideas for parents who who are. I wish I were more crafty. Like yeah, like a garden where ideas are sprouting and the kids have stuff they want to share for your littles. For your older kids, it's a way to just bookmark stuff, right? If they did happen to think of, oh, I meant to tell mom or dad this or uh, my parents this when they were gone. So so holding on to things that happen, of course, nowadays with, with videos and phones, we don't we don't always want to be that person with the phone in the middle of everybody else's you know graduation <laughs> or birthday parties. But yeah, you kind of get the right to do that in these situations and share what you can um invite kids to write to journal to record things onto phones again the added layer of hearing somebody's voice not just a text is really lovely if if your kids have the attention span to do that or if you can help corral them into doing that and if your partner is able to return even just a two sentence message with voice adds a dimension to staying connected so mm. um voice recording yes i remember my my um our youngest he came in once and he'd he'd done something at school it was some event and he started telling me about it and i, I quickly grabbed my phone and i started recording mm. him recounting fresh the first time around um what had happened because i thought this is this is something my husband's gonna miss this fresh recounting we'll never get it in this version again we'll get the you know the the kind of maybe the tidbits but having this kind of oh my word and then this and then this happened and then that happened and, and, then, and then this did this and I was like oh my word this is the kind of thing that he's missing by not being here and just to have that sort of yes. nugget of, of recounting but the, I love the idea of, of the sticky notes to sort of keep track of little yeah. things going on so that the parent who's away can sort of, can sort of feel part of can sort of remember and then and then maybe tag on to one or two things and 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 develop that in their connection or talk about it yes and i think it also helps get away even from a partnership <clears throat> it also helps get away from 
what often happens in the family communications is, hey, again, hey, smile, 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 you know, and then how's school? Good, fine, good. And then, and then the couple becomes, did you pay that thing? Have you written that? No. Did you send that email to your boss? What happened with the sink? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. And you end up. Yeah, totally. Like now you're talking to the, you know, your plumber and your tax accountant and your, and it, and it like those things, obviously you have to have time for logistics, but if you're able to include, you know, replay a voice thing during the call or send it ahead of time and talk about it. Um, yeah. Keeping posted on areas of interest, you know, so-and-so is really into Dungeons and Dragons right now, or so-and-so is really into this and that, um, so that it can help, um, help parents I, th I think too sometimes there's a pressure with with littles the kids sit still and they like like because then the staying parent also is worried that the kid isn't attentive enough to the accordion the 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 left parent and then there's anxiety and so all the kid knows is that when they're supposed to talk to this other parent everybody is stressed out and they can feel they're getting it wrong it's like nope kids run, they somersault, they jump, they, that, that's part of communicating with a younger kid. Um, and that's why it also helps if you have sticky notes or if the kid has put sticky notes, you can facilitate the sharing or if the kid has ideas or whatever in the garden or in the tree or in the parking lot, you can facilitate the sharing in the really little kids. Um, and ironically, you may need to facilitate sharing in the really littles and in the teens. <laughs> yeah, because they don't talk much. Mm. And that's that's either a multiple choice or, or uh, yeah, what are your friends' experience? I mean, again, I think sometimes with teens, when you, any parent, it's easiest to say, what are you hearing at school about this? Or what are you, like, starting one step removed from your kid gets you a little bit more information. Like what are kids saying about the new this and that? Or I heard, you know, this other mom talking about kids who've been X, Y, Z, like, does that come up at school ever? So you're not asking them what they're doing. You're not, you know, it, it just, it allows you. Oh yeah. It's great. Everybody does it. No, that doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes it can be a real foot in the door because it isn't as, it's not as direct, <laughs> but it's the same reason why driving next to your kid or tandem coloring or something, you know, even the adult coloring is cool for teens. The doing a tandem activity with a kid sometimes allows their, again, that nervous defensive brain to just kind of calm down enough so that they can connect. So parallel conversations during tandem activities or asking them like, what's the word on the street about this or that or the other? Or, Do your friends ever have this dilemma? You know, that kind of a thing. Mm. I talked to a mom who, uh, I talked to a mom whose husband, whose husband was away and he got online with his boys one Saturday and help them build the garden shed <laughs> and uh, remotely and uh, she said they had great conversations right because it's often conversations that happen there and I suppose also it's being sort of intentional when you're home to have those maybe to think up an activity that's parallel so that you're actually putting in that physical yeah. proximity time uh, to to get that conversation because with teens it's it's rare, rare to have a deeper conversation and it's it you've got to catch them in the moment when they're ready to talk and 
So, so maybe multiplying as well. I'm thinking multiplying opportunities for just hangouts and stuff. Maybe even yep. movie watching if teens are into it, so that it creates that that uh, side by side. It's not always easy um, when you're caught up in life, but then again, yeah, those rituals. I'm so terrible at routines. I'm terrible at routines. I think people who are natural at routines, you're like, well, you've got a win there. But I, I instigated rituals. I can yes. do rituals. I can do Saturday morning pancakes. I can do Sunday Sunday roast dinners. I can do, you know, Friday night movie. <laughs> that I can do. The other thing too, one last thought. And, and right, we all have different needs for, for that kind of thing. So it's forgiving yourself and building in rituals where you can. If you're not a dinner is at six on the spot person, I mean, that's okay. Take what you know. Yeah. Build in these memory and kids. I think sometimes parents feel like to, to make something memorable, they have to have a whole like circus planned for Saturday afternoon or like the apologetic indulgence. Right. So it's yes to everything because we've really messed up our kid. And like, I've spent a lot of time with families who are, you know, third culture and in different places with teenagers who did not need more permissiveness as, as, as for guilty, right? If you're making your parenting decisions out of fear or guilt, this is an invitation to look at that and check in. Am I saying yes to this because I'm feeling really guilty? Okay. How do I help my child feel loved and saved and supported without, you know, just saying yes to everything so do these kids have additional unique needs from other yes can those be met with connection with ritual with fun and time together yes does that mean you have to have pony at your house on Saturday afternoon no it it literally this is the other thing to keep in mind with kids it can be five minutes of uno or five minutes of drawing on the bathtub or with a teen it can be listening to you know whatever a few songs or playing the the competitions on alexa for naming things or like a 20 minute episode nowadays honestly a lot of kids movies seem long to them because their attention spans have gotten shorter so find a series that you connect to together and they're 22 minutes when you take out the advertising like it does not have to be that the whole family goes to an amusement park in order to be together it can be quieting devices and and playing heads up on the phone or whatever and guessing games and things like that that's a really good point that's a really good point. I think it's important for, for parents to hear this. <laughs> Not to overcompensate, but it's okay. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, what do you think of um, different rules, different rituals when the parent's home and when the parent's away? <laughs> so here's the other thing that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. The return home is otherwise known as an enormous setup for both parents to fail <laughs> because yes. it right each parent is in my experience at this point desperate for reprieve <laughs> happy to see their family love their family and the staying parent is like whoo okay i can stand down a little cuz i've been doing this whole show by myself and the returning parent is very often like wow that was a lot 
I can't wait to get home to the comfort of my family. So each partner is looking at the other for comfort. And so that's a setup. Just, just know this is a recipe for relational hardship or disaster <laughs> just in the expectation setting, right? So, so even knowing that you're being set up by the powers that be, being gracious with yourself and each other, what does comfort and relief look like in, in that relationship? And I think, you know, in talking to parents who are the staying parent, it really feels as if sort of a grenade goes off and no, I mean, like some sort of massive change happens in their family environment and they sort of have no choice but to relinquish control to the to the Disneyland jungle gym parent who comes home and blows doors off whatever routines were there. Totally. Totally. It's like, oh, well, that's bedtime messed up. <laughs> right? And then and, and often the staying parent was holding on to the rhythms and the predictability and the ease, quote unquote, relative ease. Nothing is easy, but relative ease. And so it feels. But they had a system. Yes. That worked. That's the thing, right? You have a system that just about works. You're the only parent. So you're at home. So you kind of maintain. And then suddenly the other parent comes in and it's like, oh, my word, you suddenly have to coordinate parenting like on, you know, on the fly, on the scene parenting. It is, it is, it's spot on. It's the first piece of advice we got when I started researching it from two separate families. They said, like, this is, this was one, one couple actually said, this is what we went to therapy over. Yeah. And the, and the idea too, and you, and in, in a lot of families, there's a setup, but if you have one parent who leaves a lot, there's also what happens is the staying parent becomes brush your teeth, do your homework. You didn't pack your bag again, take the crumbs off the counter. And the other parent is like, da, 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 la, la, da, here, jungle gym here. Let's now that presents. <laughs> yes, let's go to the pool at the hotel for the after, right? And the and the staying parents like, okay, I'm the stick in the mud who's chasing kids around for compliance. And of course, I want my kids to have a good relationship with their parent, the other parent. And of course, I recognize this is special for them to have time together. But do I really always have to be bad cop? Like, can we meet in the middle somewhere? And there's a lot of, there's high demand for conversation and expectation naming for coupleships in this situation mm -hmm. that like, okay, I need some relief. You know, I'm noticing I really need some relief. What does that look like for you and your schedule today? Uh, you know, Hey, I think if folks can think about it in terms of soothing and calming, like in this life that we lead, it is soothing and calming for me when I know what to expect. The kids and I have this, this is how we kept the, you know, kooky at a manageable level and so I notice that I start to feel really spun out if I'm not sure what's going to happen how can we team on that like which things can we leave the same or tonight it actually works better for me if because there there also is a thing where the staying parent doesn't doesn't want to then become bad cop for the partner either right you don't want to be bad cop for your kids and your partner that no. doesn't feel good so so some communication of like it's it actually really helps me keep keep the ship on course when this happens yes i want you to take the kids and have, can we look at that like it's actually better for me if we do that saturday or it's better for the kids or what do you think about this like everybody knows in their relationship what's what's ideal but it really calls for naming expectations and i think there's a way for me thinking about anxiety in kids and adults that 
a lot of folks, if I, when I get to know them, I'm like, oh, do you have anxiety? No. Nope. Okay. Is there stress in your life? Oh yeah. Ton, ton of stress. <laughs> people, there's something about the word anxiety that has people feel like it's clinical or they're broken somehow, but stress. Oh, sure. We all have too much of that, but anxiety, no. And so I think people can always get better at identifying when their worries show up like irritability. Okay. Okay. So irritability can be a sign of anxiety. And, and control when you hear people say like, oh, they're very controlling or they controlling things, locking in on routines and the way things must be is commonly understood to be an, an anxious response. It comes from a place of worrying what will happen if you don't clamp down, right? It's like, I I need to because then this. So when you hear, if your partner so controlling, like, does everything have to be that control? Like, ding, 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 you know, controlling, stress, using that language, ir- irritability. Like you think, I think about myself in the middle of a busy day. I've got a bunch of stuff going on in my head and my kid does something relatively small. For instance, they're going to get a different response from me than if I'm sitting around on Saturday afternoon and I happen to have gotten big chores done and they do the same thing. It, you know, it's how our stress brain works. And so when we're under stress, we're closer to cut that out like again really and what what it comes out when i the analogy i like to use is so you're working with your toddler for many you know you told them over and over take my hand when we're near the crosswalk take my hand when we're near the crosswalk no we're not you must hold my hand when we cross the street and then for a second people are distracted and even though you've told your kid 200 times they step off the curb and what we do we swoop in and we grab them and we come right in their face like what how many times have i told you and what they're feeling is a wave of anger and what you are feeling is terrified, right? So like you're a little irritated they didn't listen, but you're irritated they didn't listen because they just scared you. <laughs> and being scared yes. is uncomfortable. Being anxious is uncomfortable. And what we often do when we're anxious or stressed is get frustrated with other people for not changing their behavior so we can calm down. <gasps> Wait, whoa. That's huge because this, this life is, is stress inducing yes, and anxiety inducing because there's so much we can't control. A, we can't even control our, well, we can't control our partner anyway, but when they're far and there's a disagreement and we can't kind of, the, the, the more I, I personally, I want to control them even more <laughs> than if they were under the same roof. And so it, it can, sh- so, so it's, so it's a fear response of like, I'm I'm just scared that this is not going to work out, that there's going to be something going on, that I can't control it. So I'm thinking, tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's not, well, potentially it could be changing, asking to change circumstances. Potentially it could be working on the cause of, or the root cause of the fear. Yes. I mean, some sort of trigger. And it, yeah. And it's all of that. First and foremost, it's, and this is what I, it's parallel for adults and kids recognizing that that's what's happening. I mean, sometimes we're angry and we're irritable just because things are just straight up frustrating and angering. Yeah. Of the time when we're snapping at kids, when we're, when we're irritable with partners there, there is, there is a stress, like things have been unknown. You're not sure what's happening and that's unsettling or yeah, there've been, there's been hurt in the relationship before when communication was too far between. And now this is happening again. And you notice there's that 
tightness happening in your chest or the the butterflies in your in your gut and and so first and foremost is recognizing in yourself as a parent and a partner when you are what happens in your body when you start to feel nervous is it in your belly is it in your throat like what are the signs can you hear it in your tone of voice can do you avoid if you're nervous and you just start not picking up the call with that like is there a pattern that way like what get curious right and I with with kids I talk with young littles I talk about being like a detective like let's put on our mag I have a little magnifying glass that I use near my screen even now let's see what we can notice when we're starting to feel worried what does worry feel oh it feels like butterflies in my tummy or it feels like um a cloud in my head you know kids will use different types of language around that but as an adult, as a parent, recognizing when you're starting to feel, I for me, I call it a clench. <laughs> it, it's just yeah. internal, like I can feel it. I can feel the tightness going down the center of my body. And, or my, my son, for instance, began to mirror to me as a toddler, it, the version of clench where he would answer my questions like this. <laughs> And I was like, oh, perhaps I am modeling. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Interesting. Communication. So, so noticing when you start to tighten and when you start to lock down and clench or avoid, and then, yeah, what is, what is it? What am I afraid of? Is this fear, you know, is there something I'm afraid of? Um, and then it's so much easier to talk to a partner from that place it's entirely different to be able to say like, you know, yesterday when we talked, I realized I sounded super edgy and I'm just, you know, I'm afraid or I'm feeling pretty uncertain. So there's a vulnerability in that. There's a vulnerability, but it most times it will deflate in the nicest way. A partner who's like, oh, oh, you're scared. You're not just ticked off at me. Like, oh, because it's like that child who... Uh, crossing the road, what they feel is anger, but what you feel is terror. And your partner probably only sees the anger when you're feeling terror. Yes. That's... And both of them are mm. living, like we, this is probably a whole, a whole other chat, but but when I talk about uh, um, brain, so Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel does a lot about um, kids from, you know, who've had difficult situations and navigated trauma and trauma in, in different um, senses of the word. And we basically, I'm holding up my hand. This is an audio, but like humor me. And I'm making a fist. And the the wrist down is like the automatic part of our brain where we swallow and breathe. It's the stuff that happens all the time that we don't think about. I have my thumb squeezed under my four fingers here. The thumb is our impulse, feelings, memories. All of that lives tucked in the center of our brain and over the top closes planning, reasoning, time management impulse control, anticipation, patience. It all lives in the frontal lobe of our brain. It's the last part. The resilience part. Mm. Yes. And there's the thing, under stress, guess what our body does? Uh, when we call it with the little kids and all the way up, I use this for adults and all the work I do, we flip our lids. <laughs> so up go the four fingers that are the reasoning, anticipation, impulse control, calming, and patience. And you get fear, you get protection, you get fight, flight, you get um, uh, memories and emotions flooding, and you get reactivity. And if you're a family, and this is one of the things I taught to a lot about families, if you're a family that has 
experienced a lot of changes, that has the accordion parent, that has a parent in a risky situation, a lot of the time your family is living half flipped. <laughs> like everybody's sort of right at simmer, you know, like a lot of families get to live in, in, you know, cold to warm water and your family may be living at simmer when boil is a full stress response. And so grace with yourselves and each other and being able to recognize for yourself and your partner, like, I sound strung out, but what that means is sad. I sound cranky, naggy, but what that means is nervous. I'm worried. I, you know, it, this hasn't been smooth. And so this is a real invitation for folks to to check in around how flipped your lid is and how warm the temperature is. And it's disarming. It's disarming for a partner to say, I bet that sounded cranky. Actually, it's because I'm worried or I'm afraid or like, what do we do? Kind of. A yeah. Yeah. And you know what? You know, when I I was writing the question, you know, how to be a family under this, you know, when you're not living under the same roof, you know, I'm expecting, uh, you know, some practical, da, 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 but this is actually the overarching response, really, because, and it's beautiful that it came out in conversation, because it's what I say to like the staying at home parent to sort of that, this kind of life you need, you need extra you need extra care. You need like I say that you times ten. Your self care, the normal dose, it's just not going to cut it. You're going to need like way more, and it takes more time and more intention. And so you are going to live differently than other families that that don't have this. And I think you've just brought that to the whole family unit, saying you know even your partner who's away, they need extra. Then you know we the whole family and it's, it's it, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing um but but you are living this extra tension this extra you're living within this extra space that other families don't have and so a you can't compare and b you just need extra extra time to rest extra time to have these family moments extra time to um to, to maybe have a moment where you're you know, just managing the stress levels together and stuff. And I think I just think it's beautiful because it, it's it's the it's the family, it's it's the overarching kind of need for, for families that, that live this. And so parent in a dangerous situation. I mean, there's there's stuff written about, you know, um parents who are deployed. Where my husband was a humanitarian and a diplomat when he went to Kabul. He was also before that, before our split location, he was traveling to places like Darfur, um, places at war, places where there was natural disasters. Uh, so humanitarians do it. And so I, I and diplomats, is there anything specific for these families where I we told the school that the that the dad, the, their dad was going to go. So the school was, was, had some notion, but yeah, I think we, we also told them like that there was risk involved, but that the, you know, my husband and had a security team that they were minimizing risks, that they were trained, um, that they were helping people. Um, 
I don't know, is there anything else that's important? No, I, I think that's great that, that folks around your kids are going to be looking for the indicators that they're stressed out, changes in sleep, changes in eating, new nervous habits, playing with skin or hair, um, repetitive question asking. These are, you know, more temper tantrums, more outbursts, irritability. And right, <laughs> parents of teens are sitting here like, uh, hello, that's funny. <laughs> I'm like, no, I know, but you're looking for changes even, even within that. And just having people keep extra eyes. And I think exactly what you did, like there's a protocol when this stuff happens, there are risks and there's a whole team of people that are supporting mom and they've done this before and they know how to try to balance the risks. And yes, that, that it's, you know, amazing that your parent is getting to go in and offer these things. And this is something our family values. It's a good time to talk about family values. Like our family really values being a helper in really challenging situations. And so, you know, even though we know there may be some risk and there may be some days we're worried that we're, you know, really proud, thinking of the little we're proud that mom and dad are doing this or this just, this is what we believe, you know, good people do in the world with the skills they were given. Your mm -hmm. parent has some really cool things to offer in this situation. And um, yeah, our family values stepping up when things like this happen. And it it does mean that there are going to be bummer days for us, right? It's again, sort of preparing the kids a little bit, not talking overly about risk, and worrying out loud, be very mindful where you're having conversations in your house. Uh, this is, I know we're getting toward the end of wrapping up, but like so many times people assume kids under the age of like nine, you know, eight, nine to 10 aren't, are not listening, don't care. They're just playing with their Legos. I promise you they are listening and they have not understood and they have taken they've what kid brain done is link weird things right it, it kid brain says oh you know the dog barked outside and then my sister hit me so when a dog barks my sister's going to hit me like it doesn't make any sense to us it they that's how learning happens they're associating things they're connecting stuff in their worlds and linking them and making sense of the world so if they only get half of your overheard you know conversation they could have wildly oh. faulty understandings yes. about what's happening. Yeah. So be super mindful that you actually have a space to talk to that girlfriend you're so grateful who called or your sister who can only reach you during this time. Like be thinking about what your child hears directly and indirectly. So you don't want to act as if there's nothing to see here, folks. And again, you're in like circus and tap dance mode. But you also want to be mindful of um, what your kids may be hearing about situations at school. So this is what happens, right? Like your family member may be in an area, a conflict area, and then your child goes to school and gets taught about this whole conflict area or sees news. So checking in with your kid too, I think, you know, what's anything happening in news or do you have any questions? Make sure that you know what your kid's question is too. Like, you know, is dad safe? What do you mean by, I mean, literally, it sounds like you're avoiding, but you actually want to be clear because sometimes, you know, a six-year-old just wants to, oh no, do they sleep with a roof over their head? Do they, are they intent? <laughs> 
you know what I mean? Like they don't want to know about the conflicts between warring factions. They just want to know, like, does dad have food and does he drive a car? You know what I mean? Like, so, so just stop. It's a fine to buy some time to say, well, what do you, what do you mean? You know, or what are you actually wondering? Kind of a thing. I sometimes wonder what dad's dinner time looks like. Do you, you know, sort of a thing so that you're not answering a question that your child really wasn't asking because they're younger. Um, with teens, I think you're just being more, you know, again, like, yep, there's some risk involved in this. And, you know, mom has training and there's a team around her and, and it's hard on us. But again, this is, you know, our family just value values this and we believe it's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, that what we can do in the meantime is just recognize there are days that are going to be really hard with this and we just got to lean into each other. Um, so I think that's also a place, um, to kind of be aware is, um, the just the need for support right and that the, the community podcasts like this communities of other parents who do understand this is distinct parenting and family stuff this is not your your typical you know dilemma how to have a conversation about kabul at dinner it is not no. what a lot of navigating <laughs> And so find your folks, find your people, look for support, no judgment. If you need a little TLC, you need more time with girlfriends than you think you should notice if you're shooting all over yourself, right? We call it in the, in the world of stuff. Like anytime you start thinking I should, I shouldn't like stop should, should also be one of those times. You know, if you're clenching, you're tightening. If you're thinking I should, I should, I should pause, you know, breathe, offer yourself the same grace you would offer a good girlfriend or guy friend or partner in the, in this, you know, realm and be gentle. The demands against, you know, demands you are facing are un unnatural in a lot of ways and just incredibly, you know, enriching and perspective changing and in line with some pretty powerful, amazing values. And so you can't jump right to that without doing the kicking. I don't like this. I don't like this. I want this to be done. I want, I don't, I hate it. You know, like, okay, hang out in that for a little bit. And then you go to the like, okay, we're as prepared as we can be. Let's get some rituals. Let's get some routines. Let me ask my kid essay questions and then multiple choice. And then a fill in the blank um, model for them. That's brilliant because I find these families have good reasons for doing whatever it is they've chosen to do, but then they get, yes. but then it gets overwhelming and stressful and they don't re realize, oh, they need to kind of multiply how much, <laughs> how much support yeah. and how much intention and what it's actually going to take to make it work. But we have covered two very yes. important <laughs> aspects. I think the the dangerous locations is one I'm continuing to work on. I have a top tip sheet for when your partner's in a dangerous location. But I think this conversations around how much to talk about the risk before they go, all of that, that's always a continuing conversation and something I think that's helpful for parents to kind of um, know beforehand. Yeah. We haven't even touched on intercultural parenting because a lot of these families are also multicultural, multiracial, multilingual, and you have 
all of this and I don't know we probably won't have time to 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 um to broach it now but that's something I would love to kind of uh, <laughs> I don't know we'll have to figure out how to <laughs> I'm sure you have all sorts of things on that I mean do you do you just want to touch on it briefly do you have anything particular do you think uh, no I can talk about it briefly I, I think honestly again as you were saying earlier, looking for tips or scripts or little things. And really a lot of what it boils down to is reflection and grace, like holding the why, what is our story of why for our partner? What are we telling ourselves about our partner's why? So if we think our partner is doing what they're doing because they're not thinking about our schedule. They don't care about our, our, you know, well-being. They get wrapped up in their own life and forget that I have stuff I need to get done, right? Like the story you are telling yourself about the why completely shapes the energy you're going to bring into yeah. the conversation. And when you're an intercultural family, so much of culture is assumption <laughs> and expectation. Like, well, of course a spouse does this in this situation. Well, of course you would handle that directly with me, right? Where some cultures are less direct in communication. They're more visual than verbal. They're more likely to say nothing at the time, but follow up later, as opposed to those of us who go charging in and want it named now and want, you know, like, a lot of intercultural differences is assumptions about communication norms and feelings identification and expectations and things. And so if you are navigating that simmering water, <laughs> that half lid flipping with assumptions about what is the careful, kind, thoughtful thing to do and what isn't, it's just going to make yeah, it it just blows up the intensity. So it's an even bigger press for parents and for couples to stop and think, what is going on with me? Like, what's happening in my body? What do I need? And, you know, what am I feeling? What do I need? And what am I assuming? Yes, <laughs> what is my story of why? Like, if you brilliant, if you think this person missed your phone call time because they're at the gym taking care of themselves when they could be taking care of us, versus like okay, wow, their whole day changes on a dime. Let me check that out, right? Like if you just pause the energy that you will bring in um, and trying not to make assumptions can save a lot of cross-cultural miscommunication. Just what's the story of why I'm telling myself? I mean, I you... That was a complex question and you boiled it down to a very, uh, very, very rich and spot on kind of thing so thank you so much for being here thanks for all your insights we covered so much i think there was some really really good and rich content there uh to help families who live this people can contact you i'm assuming yes. we'll put all your links and everything and um yes you're taking clients yeah yes and i, I yeah i love I love what I do and I'm lucky to do that. And um, so children as well, children who have anxiety and all that. Okay. Yes. Yes. In fact, that's, yeah, a lot of my time with the littles. <clears throat> I work a lot with parents, obviously. I mean, it's hard as littles with video can be mm. tricky. There are some limits, but I certainly have found a lot of space and place to support parents supporting littles with, you know, intermittent screen time for the young ones as I'm getting to know them and help parents strategize. So. That's brilliant. 
Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your insights and your wisdom. Sure. Thanks for having me. 